0: Soundtrack. Let's give it another minute or two um, to let people in and then we'll get started. Um, all right, cool. So, uh, Soli had an emergency come up, so he couldn't he couldn't make it to today's podcast. But um, Danny uh, was scheduled to be on, so thank you for coming on. I, let me let me do uh, her her official intro. So today, uh, our guest is a digital fashion founder, influencer, investor, and a founding member of Rentout, which I'm also digital fashion house now that invests in the future of fashion. Emerging as the first digital fashion blogger in 2021 under the pseudonym of This Outfit Does Not Exist. She gained the claim for ecosystem insights as well as her digital dressing. She is now building Drop, a curated collector-focused platform bringing code to control, of which I am also uh, a proud uh, investor in and, and proud to support. Please welcome Danny Loftus. Hey, Danny, how are you?
1: Hey, G, thank you so much for such a lovely intro.
0: Uh, how are you? How, where, are, where are you in the world right now? Are you in London? No, I'm
1: actually in Mexico City. Oh, Mexico
0: City. How, how's that? That's where you're based out of now, right?
1: Yeah, so it's half the time London, and then it's like a couple of months a year there. Um, I mean, since I saw you in Paris, the flight over was absolutely brutal. It was a full 12 hours on the plane. But super happy to be home now.
0: Yeah, I bet. I just got back stateside last night and i fell asleep at 8 p.m new york time and i was i was out cold till like 4 30 so um yeah i'm just i'm just it, it feels good to be back on eastern standard time but even though i'm not entirely home just yet i'm staying with my parents for the next few days um and i actually i'm flying to uh charleston tomorrow for the people opening so so that should be fun if if anybody's out there feel free to uh to come up and say hi and collect the out. but but yeah it's, it's i mean i love europe but i i just i don't know if i'd ever be able to live there permanently because of the the time zone differences between uh cet and, and pst
1: yeah i mean i think it's one of those things where you wake up in the morning and you realize that nobody else on twitter is online and just your whole schedule gets like super thrown out so I kind of you kind of feel like you're in front of the world which is quite
0: nice but also yeah so it's good in the morning but it's terrible at night when like it's 9 10 11 p.m and it's like the middle of the work work day in the states and people are like hey we need answers on this like right now and I'm like hey I'm about to go to sleep all right so it's uh, <laughs> it, it does it does get annoying on the back end but I I mean I agree with you I love it night Plus, I eat too many, way too many croissants, of which we, we split. Well, we didn't We didn't eat croissants together. We had bagels together. We were at St. Del's. I
1: mean, bagels, plus, plus, plus. I, honest, I got back, and I'm now on a health kick. It was two weeks of literally every single day. I'd eat, like, 25 pastries and just, I don't know. I don't think I have what it takes to be a French person. Like, I don't have that discipline.
0: Yeah, me neither. I, 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 I just enjoy bread too much. But, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, before we get into, I think, like, the really cool. I, I wanna I wanna talk a little bit about the stuff we spoke about uh, at brunch because I think people will find that really interesting and intriguing. But before we start, like, just can for those who aren't very familiar with you, just give us like a brief background of of you know how you got into the space and you know ultimately what are you what are you doing with Drop and and then we'll take the convo from there.
1: Great. So I I think. One of my favorite things about Web3 is that a lot of us came into the space from quite unconventional angles, kind of relative to trans. So, you know, the majority of big digital artists, they were not artists full time when they started. And I think it's a very similar thing to me in fashion and in the way that it's a very similar thing for you. So grew up absolutely loving fashion, you know, religiously watched all the fashion shows, have always dressed in a... Relatively eccentric way, but ended up starting my career in the sustainability, social impact space. So, while I was in college, I was at a social impact fund, and then actually entered crypto through fintech. So, my first job out of college was the first hire in a startup lending to financially underserved populations in emerging markets using blockchain. And then, when I moved back to London, I was an innovation consultant. So, I would go into large corporates and I would say. This is how this emerging technology is going to revolutionise the work that you do. This is how you should incorporate it. But again, totally sector agnostic, never fashion-specific, despite the fact all my friends were in fashion now. And so the way it evolved was I used to read Megan's column at Vogue Business Religiously. I was always very fascinated by this idea of in-game identities and alternative identities and also fashion is a social signaling mechanism so you know i even remember when i was 16 or 17 instead of one of my a levels i wanted to do a project on status signaling in china and how luxury goods had become ways to establish hierarchies in the light of kind of the communist regime post-communist china so i've always found that super fascinating and i remember in 2019 we had a couple of very very early luxury plays in base So we have the Sims, Ex Moschino, we had League of Legends and Louis Vuitton, so it was all kind of slowly starting to come in. And I then read an article where the CMO of Gucci said, "We're going to start designing clothes to be worn fully digitally." And just something clicked in my head. I was like, "This is the obvious future of the creator economy." So I was like weird oh, that I've never read about this. So you know, I was googling it, was looking at Wired, was looking at Bloomberg, was looking at TechCrunch. Like, okay, what startups are working in this space? And nothing came up. I remember going to a webinar once, which was called Digital Fashion, and I got there and it was actually just a girl saying, hey, this is the shirt you should wear on Zoom, and this is how you should light yourself. Like, that's what Digital Fashion was in 2020. So when I realized that, I started by pitching all of these big magazines being like, hey, listen, I want to write for you. And they were like, what large brands are in the space? And I was like, nobody, but like everybody will be. And they were like, like, no, we we don't get it. So... I was like, okay, I'll start my own newsletter where I will write about the stuff, and that's going to really get my friends in tech and my friends in VC hopefully excited. But you know, my friends in fashion, not like they couldn't care less about what stuff I write about tech. So I was like, okay, to really grip them, I'm going to have to wear some of these clothes. So looked out on Instagram, DressX had started about a month before Tribute Brand, same thing, and you know, all of them had like. 300, 400 followers, so like, I had no followers, so I just basically DM'd them being like, hey, listen, you don't really have any anyone wearing your clothes on your website, I'm going to do this project where I only wear digital fashion, do you want to collaborate with me? And they were like, yeah, so started off, literally DressX had five items on their website, started off wearing some of the clothes, and it was really funny, because I just remember being like, with quite a lot of the stuff that was out there being like, this isn't really my style, but there are only like 10 items that are digital fashion in the whole world, so like, Kind of just have to do this to make a point so that's kind of how it all started it was my side hustle for it, it was meant to be my side hustle for like five years but it ended up being my side hustle for 10 months um i then got bought into red dow by a close friend who was in flamingo dow and was like hey i want to co-invest with you and then i got bought into red which you know was one of the best decisions i ever made i came in as one of the founding members and then from there it was you know a year later and I just left my real world job to focus on digital clothing, which seemed so insane at the time. But essentially it was like, okay, I'll take a couple of months off. They said they'd still have me back and I'll just kind of see where this goes. And that's when kind of the same person who brought me into red said, Danny, when are you just going to fundraise? Like you've been talking and writing about all the problems in this industry for such a long time. When are you just going to build and solve it? And I was like, I'm a woman with, non- with a non-engineering background. I can't, there's no way I can fundraise. Come on. And he was like, okay, just put your white paper out, just see how what happens. So I did that in January of last year. You know, To my surprise, we were very subscribed, and we ended up raising 1.5 million to build out a platform called Drop. And you Noji, know, so, so, so happy to have you involved. And so kind of a little bit about what we're doing with Drop is we began really thinking about what the issues were with digital fashion. And one of the biggest ones was that these clothes have so much ability to hold multifaceted value because they're digital. So a key example is you have no wear and tear. So these items do not degrade. If you lend them to your friend or somebody who isn't your friend, you're never going to see their depreciation as an asset, which you have with art now because art is in general stored in your home, at all, but you've never had it with clothes before. And I was like, okay, you know, what's really going to make this a more exciting proposition? So in the fullest expression of the platform. It's this idea of showcasing the best of digitally native fashion, having this fashion which both you can own, wear in a range of virtual environments, and then also if you're a collector, you can also monetize. So through protocols like rental, where something could go out of your wardrobe into my wardrobe, and you'd be automatically reimbursed. Where to earn? Where you know you're working on a version of this now, but like a brand might say, "I want twenty thousand people in." A specific space at this specific strategically interesting moment to be wearing my clothes and actually you can reimburse those people for doing that so that's kind of what we started off as and that's our biggest vision and i think what's changed in terms of the way we're working now is this is really a collector focused platform so these are all a great vision for the future but if you actually look at where we are right now there aren't a ton of virtual spaces where actually you can wear your digital clothes where there are a ton of other people like you know, you have Fortnite, you have Roblox, where there's so much signalling potential for your virtual clothes. But the Central and Sandbox, are there that many people there? Like, no. So I think in a very similar way to you, we're beginning by building out our hero brand, which is a brand called Pronounced Drop. And our motto as a brand is this view that the code is a couture. So in the same way that for centuries, oak couture houses have pulled in the best craftsmen to work on their collections, be it the best embroiderers, the best tailors, the best printmakers. We believe the same thing is going to be true, but what will constitute that creativity is actually going to be code. So every single collection we work on is going to be in collaboration with a really talented digital artist. And the clothes that we create are also fully generative, so we don't only have the same generative traits that you'd have in an artwork like Color palettes, for example, and kind of colorways. We also have elements like folds, like like direction of sequence, which are also established generatively. And that drop is going to happen in the next few months, and then we're kind of building it all out from there.
0: That's awesome. I have so many questions because I know we also covered this this a little bit last week. But first, I want to say, I, I mean, I love your story. I think. You know you're we're both in red Dow together and i'm always i'm always super excited to hear all your insights and and conversations that you're having on, on the weekly calls and whatnot so um i i love having you and being part of that community and also having you in the admit one community because i know um you're you're a huge supporter of of the things that we do over at at 90cc and admit one and i think you know and to really lean into you know where you're going with drop is One of the, you know, when I initially announced the collab with Snowfro and you, you, I think were the, you got it faster than anybody else out there, right? In terms of what we were doing, because you're, because you see the future very similarly, right? Where, you know, the, all of, all of the creativity comes from the developer, right? And we're seeing that already with generative art. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see that play out with, uh, with clothing in the future as, you know, when you're not limited by the the laws of physics, like you can get really creative, right? And I think that that's really, to me, one of the more interesting things um, with what you're doing and the way you see the world. That I think will play out over time. I think it's going to take some time to get there, right? Does it have like my my question? And I'm curious as to your take. Is is this something that you think starts happening in the next twelve months, or is this something that happens over the next five years? What What do you think the timeline is in terms of uh let's say uh not just digital wearables but say generative wearables taking off it's
1: such a great question i think i kind of see i wouldn't say the earliest digital fashion adoption because i think that's actually happened over the past two years but like the next wave of digital fashion adoption being split between physicals and then collectibles and so, you know, physicals, it's such an obvious transition to make. I think there was just this very funny thing where we saw people come out of a post-pandemic reality where everybody was like, digital sure goes to the future, we love the metaverse, and all of a sudden we were like, and I want a physical thing about, please. And I think that was very, very amusing to me. And I think that's the, like, red pill for traditional fashion people. It's, okay, it's got this digital counterpart, we don't really care about it, but you know, some people seem to like it, so we'll take it anyway. But look, we have this physical thing. And I think one of the things that resonated with me so much about 9DCC is, like, you know, I own the shirts, and those shirts are beautifully made. And the packaging is stunning. So it's not only that you have a perfect minting experience and everything you've done is luxury and seamless on the digital side, but the physical mimicked it. And, you know, I think that's going to be a real red pill for trad fashion people. It's very easy to understand. I think, for me, generative is the other side of it. And I think I look to platforms like Art Blocks, like FXHash, even Bright Moments, and you see these incredible collective faces and you know, maybe it's not as large as the trad fashion audience, but it's these maybe smaller niche communities who are, it's not just about the amount of money that they're spending, but it's also the amount of excitement and community that is generated around, you know, these various works. And one of the things that I love whenever I go to these events is like, it's a lot of people who may not have ever been traditional art collectors who discuss the art in the same way that if I hung out at an art party, people would be talking about like a Jackson Pollock in front of them. So in the same way that somebody discussing a Jackson Pollock would be like, okay, look at the distribution of the paint. You have people talking about the distribution of the general rates and the narrative and how they interweave into the story. So... I think on the one hand we'll have this physical audience, but I think the other audience, and this is the audience that I'm probably appealing to more, and like the Snowflow doc was appealing to more, is this group of people who already socially signal through their collectibles, digitally native collectibles, and the social signaling is not just, yo, last week I bought X project and now look at my bags, and then if tomorrow it, it goes to nothing... You hate the project. It's really people who are kind of aping in due to the idea of history and due to the idea of, in an interesting way, intellectualizing the work. And actually, that's their version of culture, because I wouldn't say the other projects are not culture. And for me, I think this generative aspect is a massive hook. And I think that's the transition we're going to see in terms of digital fashion. So I think what we're actually going to see, I think in the next six months, this is maybe also because of like certain alpha I have. I think that's going to stop being a very interesting conversation about generative digital fashion.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I, you, the way you just phrased that was so eloquent and so it hit the nail on the head. Uh, and I want to, I, I think if, if people get, if people miss any part of that, just make sure you go back and listen to that later once the recording is posted. I, I've, like, I've seen it firsthand. You know, it's it's funny because we did uh an admit one ninety cc meetup uh, at NFT Paris and there was somebody that was wearing, you know, the one of the hyper one of the hyper squiggle mitts, right, that we did with Snowfro, which is of them, I don't know how many exist, maybe five or six of them. I think it has like a four or five thousand dollar floor right now. And like that was that was like the flex within the flex, but you have to know, right? And I've been in enough of those generative art conversations where people um most people are like oh yeah like that's just the squiggle but the people that really are into squiggles know the difference between the the different rarities the the rarities within the rarities right like i remember when i went to marfa uh back in november you know people people i was talking to we were geeking out over like unfounded squiggle traits that nobody had picked up on yet and somebody was like oh you have a couple of them i like like please give me the alpha right like i don't i don't even know what i have right and so but they were like yeah these are like rarities that we're finding and different like rarity traits and you have some really rare ones that aren't up there on the rarity scale but we found them it's like almost like archaeology
1: it's so funny
0: yeah but to your point is like it, it is hyper niche at the moment but i do think it grows over time because as a category right like we're already seeing it with art with with digital collectibles right with with all of this where people people like the rarities and they one i think people enjoy the um the individuality right of knowing that you are part of a collection but you are unique within that collection right and then two is then being able to say okay i want to get one of the more unique ones within that collection or i just want a piece of that collection right and so i think we're gonna start seeing that expand over time. I think the, the only the only thing I, I would just I guess I push back on now and this is why I think I've been taking my time in terms of digital only is until that there's until there's a place where you can wear this uh, in a virtual space, I feel like it's going to be very limited use cases until that moment arrives. And I I don't know if it doesn't happen until AR technology gets there, or maybe VR technology gets there, um, or or what have you. I don't know what that moment's gonna be, but I think once that moment happens, that's when these things will really take off. But uh, until then, I just, I feel like it might be a little, uh, it might be a little slower in terms of adoption because we might be required to wait for like the hardware to catch up.
1: Super interesting. Yeah, I, I I don't disagree with you. And that's why I think, you know, at the moment, if you're one of these projects, one of the most important things is demonstrating craft and narrative, because that's how you create a collectible. It's not just good enough for something to look really, really pretty. If nobody's going to wear it, you need to show the storytelling. You need to make it seem, slash, not even make it seem, make it historical. And I think, gee, the thing that you say about squiggles is like so accurate. I think, honestly, after The weekend in Martha, and then Bright Moments and then Art Basel Miami, I was like... If anybody talks to me about art ever again, like digital or otherwise, like I don't even know what I'm going to do. And I think I've i spent the past kind of week, and this is the only thing I've talked to my team about, listening to this podcast on Acquired, and it's about LVMH, and it's three hours and thirty three minutes long, and I never thought I would listen to such a long podcast, but it literally goes in the whole history of you know Bernard Arnault growing up to how LVMH started to all of their disputes to where they are now and. Then it's like an analysis of LVMH versus other luxury goods brands. And I think it's very interesting because it segments basically brands like LVMH and kind of, let's say Louis Vuitton as the perfect example, which is, in general, it's monogrammed. You have a Louis Vuitton bag, everyone instantly knows it's Louis Vuitton and that's its purpose. Versus something like Hermes, where the idea is it's much more of an if you know, you know, kind of brand. And I think it's kind of maybe a distinction to make between like a lot of the PFP projects where you know immediately, okay, if you have an ape, you know what it is, you know how much money it costs. And you can probably tell how rare it is by the way that it looks. You can tell if somebody has a golden ape. Whereas with squiggles, you really have to kind of, if you know, you know, and that's with one of the biggest generous of art projects. And it really cracked me up when you said, when you said the kind of imaginary traits because didn't wasn't that somebody who bought a ton of squiggles and then afterwards was like, these actually have a trait that nobody else has ever discovered, and now I own all of them. That's you know, that's happened. So I think I think the kind of archaeology thing is very funny, but I also think you can draw that kind of that parallel between the more in your face stuff and maybe also the more in your face hierarchy within a community versus much more like if you know you know kind of brand and a more if you know you know kind of work
0: yeah i I, that's that makes so much sense it's funny because i was having a conversation uh with somebody who who said that you know what ldmh does so well is they do novelty at scale right and they they're able to do drops in the real world you know a, a couple hundred times per week and you know they have that business down to a science and it's it just been super interesting. Um, I, I definitely wrote down that podcast. I'm definitely going to listen to it this weekend, and I'll I'll, I'll give you my thoughts uh, on it afterwards. But, yeah, I, I mean, it, it's interesting because a lot of it, too, is narrative, right? And even as you were just telling me about uh, – and it might have been Von von Mises, uh, but it might have also been Squiggled Out because I know Squiggled Out has been buying a ton of um, – of squiggles that, you know, maybe are priced at the floor that are actually much rarer and then uh, revealing it afterwards. But a lot of it is storytelling, right? And part of it also reminds me, uh, as I'm just sitting there thinking about that, is um, the the, uh, Salvador Mundi, right? Which is, you know, it was featured in that movie, The Last Da Vinci, and how this story was kind of like built around this piece of, you know, is it a Da Vinci, is it not? You know, and it ultimately was bought, I think, for half a billion dollars. And, and, and even even if it's not a real Da Vinci at this point, there is, maybe it's not worth half a billion, but it's worth something, right? And because there's now this whole story that went around with how it was found and how it was traded a couple times and where it ended up and the, the entire uh, show uh, that was that happened around it, gives it some sort of value in sort of in terms of historical significance. So I, I really appreciate how you're leaning into that, because I do feel like sometimes too, with the things that I'm working on, part of it is like, all right, well, how do I tell this story of what we're doing? That's really cool. And, you know, ultimately, like, I think it's a learning process, I think, for a lot of people in the space where I, I think I'm, a, I'm, I'm good at explaining things. Uh, and I'm good at storytelling in certain aspects. But I know that there's other ways where I can be better at it, right. And I think to your point is if if we're going to be growing this space and this category which i think is super super small at the moment and i'm super bullish on over the next 10 plus years uh, that storytelling is is going to come front and center long term
1: 100 percent. and i think you know i think i mentioned this to you when we had breakfast last week but i think what you've done so amazingly has been a figurehead for this movement. And I think what's so funny about this entire movement, and I think Derek Edwards said it on an episode of Proof that really resonated with me, it's this idea of being a dungeon master. So being the one who explains the rule of, rules of the game to everyone else. And like, even in Paris, I did a panel where I had somebody come up to me being like, oh my God, you're the person who invented the IRL, ORL, URL definition of digital fashion. And I was like, that is so crazy. It's so crazy that we're in a world where... Obviously, people have to resonate with it, but kind of, you make up a term, or make up a framework for something, and then it kind of becomes the thing that, the way that something is regarded. I don't know if you have that anywhere else in the world.
0: Yeah, well, especially, I, I, especially ones that we're involved in, right? And I, I'm agreeing with you, make up all the terms you want, as long as none of them are the term fidgetal, then we're <laughs> <laughs> then... Ugh, the, the worst, <laughs>
1: Wait, I'm just waiting for someone to find a better
0: alternative. I mean, you kind of have. Well, I well, so I was about to say, besides network product, uh, what are, what are your favorite terms for uh, physical, digital? Uh, tw- I, I won't even call them twins. But what's your favorite term for the space? So besides, I my... besides the one that I term.
1: <laughs> so I've got my three. I just I have my three. I divide digital fashion up into three categories. You have IRL, which is in real life, which is. Physical fashion with a digital counterpart. You have URL, which is Unreal Life, which is digital fashion worn on social media. So all of your AR stuff, all of your digital renders. And then you have URL, which is Unreal Life, which is digital fashion worn direct to Avatar. And that's like, that's that's my division. And I think you, yeah, I think you would be, you would be IRL because there's a physical version of what you do.
0: Right. Yeah. And I, I think what, for me, what's really interesting is, even though I'm IRL, I, there is that, that optionality that I know I will turn on at some point in the future where there will be the URL, right? Because that, that I, I think there's no question, and in, in, I don't think anybody here right now is questioning whether we're going to be having a more digital life in the future. The answer is definitely a resounding yes. The real question is on what time frame and what speed does that happen, right? And that, to me, is the really interesting and compelling part. Um, where we're that that's where I think the big question mark is
1: and gee for you what like when do you see that being like and I think a kind of side question like or a follow-on for me it's like do you ever see your stuff having a point where people are like yeah I don't really want the physical one I guess I'll just I'll just have the digital one, please
0: yeah so I think for me I and you know I'm patiently waiting to see what apple does with their rumored ar glasses in the next you know 60 days i think but i think we're i think we're still a couple of years away I, again to me it's really it's like can we make something that you know doesn't give you a headache that is seamless to use doesn't require a huge battery pack or a huge headset to, to utilize cuz like i'll be honest right now if i, I could be wearing an ar enabled shirt Right, and I and I like, hey, like take out your phone and look at it through your look at look at my shirt through your your phone, and then you can see how cool the design is. Like that to me, that just doesn't scale. Like I'm not really interested in looking at somebody through my phone to talk to them uh, when I when they're sitting there face to face. So I do think we need the hardware to catch up, and I think that that's probably a couple years away. I could be totally off. Maybe like Apple releases something amazing that everybody wants to use, but. Yeah, I mean, I'd say it's maybe three to five years if I had to guess, at the very least. And in terms of of what you were saying with the digital only, I I I think that probably happens within that time frame around the time when I think we're living in a more digital immersive world where we're doing this Twitter Spaces in a digital concert hall, right? And it's super seamless and easy, and it's not you know because. These things exist already, right? Like, we can we can have this conversation in a virtual world. The problem is that it's not very easy and it's very cumbersome for people to get in there. Whether it's you and me to, to have this conversation or people to go in and be part of this conversation and listen in, it's not as easy as, like, opening up your phone and typing in, you know, hitting join room and listening, right? And once we get there, then I think we're probably going to start getting a lot of demand for... For more digital-only goods and experiences, um, and I'm I'm ready for it. I, I definitely think that that's the future. Like if Epic were to open up their world and you know have the the ability for us to host this within you know the the Fortnite world, I'm sure a lot of people would be doing it. Right? I just I just don't think I just think it's a little too cumbersome now, and I'm hoping I think that definitely changes within the next ten years and hopefully within the next five. But listen, I also thought it would take five years for NFTs to to really blow up. And it took five months from my initial thesis of, oh, this is going to be massive. So I, I was off by a factor of 10. So I I mean, you know, maybe, maybe Apple comes out next month and, you know, all my predictions are wrong.
1: Super interesting. And I think it's also, when you said this thing about like virtual spaces, it's also just like, I think what people have to figure out is like, what would it actually add? Like, okay, great. We could go into Epic, but like, would that actually make this a better experience for us and people listening? Yeah, probably, like, unless there was some type of, I don't know, additional entertainment value, probably not.
0: Yeah, I, I agree, right? Because also then, and that gets back to the question of, why has long-form podcasting really taken off over the last few years, right? You Over the last decade, really, where... You know you would assume you know, like if you go back 100 years before television existed people would listen people would stay at home and listen to the radio right like there's that that famous story of when the war of the world was broadcasted where people actually thought aliens were actually invading earth right and people were freaking out and now we're we're in this you know area where we have access to all video on demand a ton of content and what have you right and people are listening to audio only, right? And in, in these long forms, like I listened to uh, a podcast, a Lex a podcast that was eight hours long. You, you're telling me you're listening to the, the LVMH podcast that's three hours long. So, you know, it's to your point is like, I think there has to be this extra value. What that value is, I don't know, right? But I do know, we'll, we'll probably know it when we see it, right? And being like, oh, it's probably gonna be something really easy where you're like, oh, damn it. This was such low-hanging fruit. Why didn't I think of that? Like, I remember the first time I used Uber, I was like, this is genius. Like, I could have thought of this. And, like, those are, like, kind of, like, the best use cases out there where people are, like, wow, this is so easy. Like, this is so easy to comprehend. Like, this solves such a huge pain point. Like, why didn't I figure this out first? And those, that's going to be where you go from that zero to one moment, in my opinion.
1: And she instead were just out here building like the most intellectually complex businesses possible.
0: Exactly, right? Yeah. But, I, yeah. but, <laughs> but here's the thing is, I think, but to, to your point uh, of what you were saying of how you got into the space is, nobody else was doing what you what you wanted to see, right? Like, I, I started 90cc because I was having conversations about this two years ago of, like, this is what I think you guys should do. And... Nobody was listening to me, so I was like, "Yeah, fuck it, I'm gonna fucking do it." And then once I do it, people are like, "Oh, that's definitely. I think that that's right." And people will have their own variations, and I think people will will take learnings from what I do and, and put their spin on it. But like I, I, you know, it, I think it just comes from like be the change you want to see in the world, and it really, it really sometimes is that simple. hundred percent. So what else? So what? What? Um, what else are you? excited about, I'm trying, I, I also don't know what what you can or can't share from the conversation that we had last week, but I, I know I'm really excited with the things that you're doing. I know, I, first off, I want to give you huge kudos uh, for um, the dinner that you did, uh, Salon, I believe it was Salon number three? Yep. And I thought that that was really cool, so can you go into that a little bit and just talk about, because I think this is really interesting as well is the community that you're building with drop and, you know, the curation process. Cause I think that that is really cool because I, I do think that happens. And I, I was trying to tackle this too, when I, I formed in knit one, where sometimes, you know, when you price something um, and you sell it, and obviously there's that, that thin line between wanting to sell out and wanting to have the right people in. And I know I, I could have, priced it at whatever. And I I probably would have sold it out. But I wanted to get the right people involved. I wanted to have uh, the right makeup of the community. And I, I I really appreciate that you've been taking like the same, the same thought process into building out your community. So I'd love for it if you can go go into that for a little bit.
1: Well, first of all, gee, I was like super inspired by the way that you built it once. So my so basically, we obviously have a much wider community as drop, but I think really the first thing we were thinking about was how do we really get our true fans plus people that we find really inspirational into a group together? And the unfortunate thing I think a lot of us face is that the best way to do that is Discord. So the idea is to basically basically convene the community. And so we decided to release our version of the member class, which is called a drop seal. And so A little bit around kind of the the larger lore of Drop is the reason that it's called Drop, D R A U P, is because the Norse god Odin had a ring called dropnir and that ring was known as his ring of endless wealth. And every eighth night, every ninth night, it dripped eight more rings, and so it was coveted for being this kind of tool of abundance. And when we were originally thinking about the way that we were going to build this platform, it was taking digital fashion, which was moving from basically this object with pretty much no use to something which has maximum value for its creators, for its consumers, for its collectors. So that's why we originally named it Drop. And then the idea of these seals was that we were going to distribute them to 888 people who we really, really wanted at the core of our community. And I think, Jean, in a very similar way to you, I think one of the things that I think I'm very fortunate in terms of is because i've been in this space for you know relative to the amount of time the space has been around one of the longest times i've just had the ability to meet like a ton of incredibly cool incredibly interesting people building amazing things so i was like okay you know what first of all i obviously want to put these people in a room together i want to introduce them but that's not what a community is it's not just like hey look it's 800 of my friends this is great it's really about having anybody in there who is both somebody who's really inspiring to our team, but also who's really passionate about the project, having conversations about the future of digital fashion. And I think in a similar way to Admit One, it's not it's not just digital fashion from a fashion perspective, it's also digital fashion in the way that it's situated in digital culture. And my background and one of the things that I actually missed most since leaving my old job to become a founder is that when I worked as an innovation consultant, that we would work would be super super interdisciplinary so it'd be like okay we're consulting for an oil giant okay we consulted for a beauty brand last month what similarities can we draw there and for me that's how i see the future of all veins of digital culture it's not just people have been in art for a ton of time telling you how to do art it's also these new perspectives and new ways of thinking about it so that's the way that we really kind of thought about the seal and so we've begun by giving out 99 to people who were both super inspirational to us but also had like really been our truest supporters since day one and so the dinner that we threw in paris was kind of the first celebration of that and so since then the way that we're doing it is we have an application form and it's not just like hey what's your name it's also questions like what what you miss about materiality or what digital project inspired you so really trying to get to know people better and then if we really like the people answer on the zombie's application forms, we're actually interviewing every single person with a member of the team. And then on the first Sunday of every month, we're welcoming a really small number of people who have this combination of being excited about the project but also really inspirational into the group. Um, and so, you know, it was all going quite well. We you know, we had, you know, first week we launched, we had 80 applications. It was, you know, it was nice, it was relaxed. We have unfortunately had 2,500 applications in the past three days. So my team really, really has their work cut out for them. But essentially the principle is that. The principle is bringing together the best people possible. And I think something that I'm very conscious of, which I'm sure you are as well with Admit One, is like, this is 888 throughout the entire lifetime of this project. Like, And I would hope this is like a 10, 15-year project. So like, it's it's really about being making sure that we're careful about who we let in, but also there being no barrier in terms of like you have to be the CEO of this, you have to have founded this, you have to be successful. Like, no, that's not, that's what we're about. So that's kind of, I think the core principle. And then I think the second thing, as well as the fact that it's given out is for a certain amount of time. I don't know if it's going to be the first year, the first two years, the seal is non-transferable. So it's this idea that you cannot buy into this community You really
0: have to earn being being in it, basically. That's that's incredible. One, two is I, I pinned this tweet uh, to the top of this space before you said twenty five hundred applicants. So you might be getting more because this is and correct me if I'm wrong, but for people that want to get on on that list, um, they go, they, they need a nomination and then they have to apply. Right. And that's the link for them to apply. I don't
1: even need a nomination they have basically oh. you can you can you can call apply okay
0: cool so and that's the link that that i posted yes
1: it is it's, yeah so it's an application form and then we kind of take it from there and you know we're really reviewing applications on a rolling basis i think we were making jokes in the team that we were turning into like literally like a university admissions council so it's like you know you know how when you apply for american university it's also about like how do all of the people in the incoming class fit together it's also kind of that so it's like Okay, maybe we might meet somebody incredible who comes from a digital fashion background, and we've just let in ten people in digital fashion, and so it might not be there for the fit right now, and then and then in six months they reapply, and we're like, yeah, we need somebody new in digital fashion. So I think it's constantly making sure that we're bringing in the best people and kind of having the best conversations as a result.
0: Yeah, I think that's I think that's really interesting, and I think that's smart because one of the things I like. About being in in the uh, admit one Discord, and I'm pretty active in there, especially when I'm not traveling. I'm able to kind of hop in and out during combos, but I love the the eclecticness of the group, right? Where you have some people that are devs, you have some people that are more fashion focused. Everybody is doing something, and then sometimes when when people uh, ping somebody uh, or have a question about, you know, it, it's funny because Derek, Derek Edwards is also a member and somebody had a question about his paper and we were discussing his paper that he put out a few weeks ago. And so like, I just pinged him on telegram. I was like, Hey, we're, we're talking about what you wrote. And he get, he came in there and had the discussion, right? Because, you know, I also understand because, you know, I, I'm super busy as well. And I'm sure you are uh, just as busy as you can't hop in there for every conversation, but, if we're if we're having a conversation about drop, and it's like, hey, Danny has some input on this. Like here, I, I would literally just ping you directly, like, hey, if you get a few minutes, pop in the Discord because people are asking about it, right? And uh, I think that that is really cool because it allows people to to do what they're doing, um, and and keep on building, right? Because if you if you were in Discord non-stop, you wouldn't get any work done, and and like vice versa here as well. So it, it's one of those things where. I'm very cognizant of it and I know people do that. People have given me that courtesy where maybe they're talking about what I'm doing in, in some other group. And, you know, they're like, Hey, we're talking about this. would love your input. Um, And I think that that helps the community overall, right? Because you don't like, you want part of the people to be, to be super active and super dedicated, but then also, you know, everybody's doing their own thing. Right. And I think that's what makes the community special.
1: Totally. And I also think, and I think it's the same with admit one. It's like, Especially, you know, at the beginning, it's like if you are in this community, you've been vetted by my team or me, probably me and my team. So it's like, I think that for me is like a big accessibility equalizer because it's one of those things where, okay, somebody might have a hundred followers on Twitter and if they DM somebody, they might be like, okay, yeah, you know what, like, I'm too busy, I can't answer this at the moment, unfortunately, da da, da. But if you know that that person has been vetted by somebody that you trust... You're more likely to have the conversations. And so that's also what I really want to help do in terms of the way that I support is like bring in, you know, emerging artists or like younger people and give them exposure to some of the amazing people that I know. And I think I think it's also like this idea of cognizance. And I think, gee, like, you know, when you did Admit One, you specifically were also saying, like, there are not enough women in the crypto space. So we're actually gonna specifically be trying to foster that kind of community within Admit One because and it's the thing with you know, you have this in crypto. If you don't have that cognizance, things get built, not in like a malicious way, but in a completely accidental way, which doesn't have those kind of dynamics or those kind of benefits.
0: Yeah, I, I, I totally agree, right? And I think also just diversity and perspective always leads, I think, to more optimal outcomes. That's, that's what I've seen in life is just that the more different viewpoints. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to agree with everybody's viewpoint. But the more different points of view you can get on something, I think just the, the better product you can make, the better ideas you'll have. So I'm, I'm super bullish on that. And that's why I've always been uh, a proponent for trying to increase diversity within circles because it just leads to better idea formation, in my opinion. 100%. So um, I know we're coming up at the top of the hour, I, and I know you kind of alluded it to to it. So what's, I guess what are the... what do the next few months look like for drop what are you working on what are you most bullish on what are you most excited about
1: so the thing that i'm by far most excited about is our first drop, and so that is going to be coming in the next two months and you know in my opinion or like okay actually what i will what will make me feel proud is if you can look at it from just a purely aesthetic perspective and go like these clothes are sick But then also if you can go in and you can actually nerd out. So nerd out about the way that we built this. So like, I think what I find very exciting about what we're doing is this idea of fashion native generative traits. So we can, you know, stuff like the folds on the, the amount of folds on a garment being generative and being generated at time of mint. And you know, it's been the biggest pain for my team to like figure out how you do that, but also make it look good in terms of fashion design. So that's the kind of big parallel that we've been working with. But also what I would hope is we haven't just randomly chosen the digital artists that we work with. We have like a couple of parameters, which are like, you know, they have to really be excited about digital fashion and it has to be an extension of their existing practice in some way. So that can be that they've done a physical fashion collab. That can be that maybe like they've experimented with generative textiles. Like there's a range of ways to do it, but this is more than just like, that you know this is not much.
0: this is actually
1: a continuation of a narrative and i think that the narrative we have with this first collection is like very very interesting and so like for me if fashion people are like this is cool but also you know your nft nerds your digital art nerds are like shit. the way that this was made is also amazing you can really dig in and have as much depth in narrative as possible that's going to make me feel really really proud And obviously, it's also, this is like the first official launch of we're building. So it's going to be the first collection drop, but also the first introduction to our digital wardrobe. And I was saying this to my team recently. I think after listening to that podcast, one of the most interesting things that came out of it was this idea that at some point, LVMH made the decision to actually lease retail spaces in these large stores so they could actually fully control end-to-end the the customer experience and part of the reason that we're building a virtual wardrobe on platform is this same idea it's this idea that if you control your distribution you control your image so instead of saying this is going you know into metamask or this is kind of gonna go like willy-nilly into virtual spaces it's like really what do i want the collector experience to be and look like so all of that is going to be deb- like debuting in around two months. So that's what we're kind of all heads down working towards on top of this whole community launch. So you went to the third ever um, salon, but it was the third ever members only salon. We only launched the seal, I think it was a little bit over two weeks ago. So I think, you know, when you talk about Admit 1, I think one thing that's so amazing about Admit 1 is like, one, I, don't, I wouldn't say it could fully continue without G Money, but you know, you have people organizing their own satellite groups. You know, you have things like the Watchers, where you've curated your community and you've drummed up so much excitement and put the right people together that you now have little tributaries that are existing independent of you. And so we're you know starting to build out a community offering, and I think it's also about figuring out like what is our community market fit how do we really provide the most value for the people who are in a wider community and at this core? and then i'd be really excited to watch like different things spin out and different kind of value creation to happen even independently of me and my team yeah
0: i i, I you touched on a couple of really interesting things there i want to rewind for a second before going down the community route uh because you kind of glossed over it a little bit, but this is definitely has influenced my thinking in terms of curation and listen, LVMH is one of the biggest companies in the world. Uh, Bernardo knows one of, if not the richest man on the planet. And I think the thing that you said was about curation and owning that experience from an end to end point. And this is what I've been trying to really hammer in with like marketplaces, right? Is like, I want to control that experience. I want... I don't want to worry about, you know, people going to OpenSea and clicking on like a scam link and getting scammed out of all the stuff in their wallet because they wanted to buy uh, either MIT one or a 90TC product or whatever, right? And I do think that's why I, I still firmly believe that the future is towards creator-owned marketplaces because people are going to want, to, one, to own that experience, and then two, and, you know, when you think about this from like a margin perspective, and I was recently listening to a podcast where when LVMH bought Remova, um, Remova was, I think, 80% wholesale and 20% direct to consumer. And within, I believe it was 12 or 18 months, they flipped that from, uh, from, from those numbers to being 80% DTC and 20% wholesale, right? And... The, and you know, and that is all under the LVMH umbrella. And I, and I don't think I think that's something that people should definitely be thinking about, right? In terms of one margins, right? It's like from a business perspective, right? Uh, if somebody's going to be paying two and a half percent royalties to a marketplace, why, why just, why not just eliminate the marketplace fees and just have the creator royalties for the person that you know, the person or the the, the project that's actually creating value for that product, not paying a two and a half percent liquidity fee. Um, for quote unquote uh, volume. And so I think that that's one, one thing that's really important and whenever I see um, positive reinforcement uh, case studies like this in the real world it just gives me it gives me more conviction that I'm that I'm right and that I'm headed down the right path right because you have some of the smartest, wealthiest, uh, biggest companies in the world pursuing this model there's a, there's a reason why. Right, like they wouldn't be in the position that they're in if they didn't do a ton of analysis behind it. So that was one. And then two is, I, I think, you're absolutely right with in terms of community. And, and I, I think about this a lot because I think one thing that NounsDAO has done amazingly is that it is very decentralized. And even though yes, there are the Nounders who are the founders that probably drive most of the direction of where that ship is going any person can kind of like build their own initiative as long as it passes the prop house um, and they can get funding to to build out on that. And I think that that is a truly decentralized organization because when you take a look at things that will last, I think that will stand the test of time, the more decentralized they are and the less reliant they are on a centralized body to provide value, then the more powerful they will become over time. So for me, part of the reason why I really, really enjoy, you know, giving people these POAPs, these ability to distribute POAPs, is that they can create their own networks within the 90s DC network. And that starts to become really, really powerful as their network grows, right? And so that, to me, I, I think that there's endless possibilities that can happen with that, but it really starts with laying the groundwork down on it. And I admittedly, I know that not everybody's gonna get it. And some people are like, oh, this is dumb, this is stupid um out of the gate until they start seeing the grander vision play out but really the grander vision is to become as decentralized as possible with you know maybe like a captain steering the ship and just making sure you're going in the right direction but then just giving the community those tools that they need in order to build amazing experiences for themselves and their immediate community members if that makes sense and I and i
1: completely agree
0: Yep. So you know, thank you for coming on, Danny. I appreciate it. Um, we had amazing chats. Uh, where, where, where are you traveling to over the next few months? Maybe, uh, maybe I'll see you. And maybe you know, if people are listening, make sure, make sure you run up and, and say hi to her.
1: So I'm. So one of the nicest things is the next month I am staying here, but then I will be in New York. And I, I've already told my whole team. I'm like, G Money's doing this activation. Everybody has to take part. Like. I'm I'm
0: pretty excited for what we're going to be doing there. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I hope. I think uh, we're going to be dropping more stuff next week. We we showed a, a little bit of a tease a couple of days ago with um, one of the pins that came in. Uh, I was just so excited. I'm like, fuck this! I'm sharing this, even though <laughs> even though I know I wasn't supposed to. So uh, some of the team, I got I got yelled at a little bit, but I was like, this is the thing too dope to not share. it. So I'm excited. So I'm looking forward to to breaking bread with you. Uh, at, at New York, um, yeah, and and I think it's gonna be a really fun week. So, looking forward to all of that. And yeah, if anybody, make sure you you uh, you follow Danny. She always has amazing insights. She, you're still writing the newsletter, right? Oh
1: yeah, every every two weeks.
0: Okay, perfect. The newsletter is really insightful. Um, and yeah, I, I just make sure you keep up with everything she's doing. And I'm really looking forward to everything you're building, Danny. And I I'm really excited to to see all the things that you work on thank you so so much G. all right awesome and thank you for taking the time and, and everybody thanks for listening in see you guys thank next you week. so much for having me